Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, this sucks. beer rookie move yeah tell me about it it's all good yeah i'm not gonna drink it i'm just gonna maybe i'll text my wife halfway through the show and see if she'll deliver me one out of the freezer sure she will yeah i'll know whether i'm in the good books or not (laughs) so what up oh man good day at work nice and easy finished off the week and yeah how about yourself week's over that's a good thing what do you got going on this uh this weekend uh Baseball, nice. birthday party, Mother's Day. Back nice. to work. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Being married and being a dad, it's, it's great. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. Oh, no. Oh, it's good, too, especially with spring ball and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of fun to... These are cold, so Oh, well, you're a jerk. <laughs> I hope they warm up by the time my cold ones come. <laughs> yeah. You come yeah, out to that sitting. 3D shoot, I'm going to hide all your cold beer, and I'm just going to serve you warm beer from my campsite. I'm bringing an ice maker with me. <laughs> propane powered ice maker yeah i think we'll be okay out there <laughs> yeah man yeah yeah i got a birthday party to go to too actually tomorrow morning but uh they're making it a fishing little mini fishing derby oh that'd be cool the lake for us yeah so well that's bad as long as it's not as long as it's not windy on the lake so yeah, that's what we should do my boys they have they got uh shitty birthdays for that kind of stuff i have a hard time eating the fish from the stores just oh, I won't. So I won't do it. Yeah, yeah, I won't do it. Almost oh. become a fish snob, but what a difference! Like it's yeah, I, I refuse to do it. But... Like Nadine bought fish one time, and I was like, "Fuck no, I ain't eating that stuff." <laughs> she's quite the chef, though, isn't she? So yeah, she probably used to. That's what she. Uh, she went to culinary school, so that's well, good. Yeah, but she does. She's stay home mom now. Oh, right on. Yeah, it's good. Good. I guess the house is clean most time, but I don't know. She's, uh, you can tell when things are starting to wear on her by the end of the year. 
the kids and stuff usually because we oh. got in a, we almost had a domestic the other day about uh vacuuming and stuff it's just going off about vacuuming i'm like i'm just shaking my head i'm like fine i'll vacuum i'll vacuum okay i'm gonna vacuum so i walked over and i pushed the start button on the robot vacuum okay <laughs> well, we're good right like <laughs> did something come flying across the room <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, too funny oh yeah man. i couldn't do it i i have to get out of the house and go to work i i don't know oh. how i'm gonna do retirement when i'm well, I'll be out in the bush is what's going to happen. I'll have my yeah. camper out in the bush. That's how I'll survive retirement whenever that comes. Kids make things a lot harder than it needs to be, but that's just oh, kids. Yeah. Eh? You don't even have to with teenagers yet. No. You see, wait till that like, hole, man. Yeah, we'll yeah. see how that goes. Yeah, you just leave them there and both of you guys can come down here. <laughs> You'll need it. <laughs> Remember when you made that, that comment about this right here? Yeah. That's what it's from. <laughs> It disappears real quick. <laughs> Rick, I'd do that, and then there'd be 300 kids in my house having a party going through all my stuff. Bring the expensive stuff here. <laughs> Just pack. Why are you packing all that stuff? I know it's yeah. going to go down. You think I'm retarded? I was a kid once. Now you got oh, them, yeah. though, because you have, like, those Googles and Alexas and shit, and you can just, like, oh. shut stuff down from your phone no matter where you are. So, like, they're screwed. Our parents didn't have a clue. You come home to just like, and it'd always be like, it, the house would be clean, but it still had that lingering party smell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's something different, but I can't quite tell what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something's a little different oh. here. And then, they, you know, a month later or something, your mom's vacuuming. She hits underneath the couch. And she realizes the leg's broken. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. oh. wasn't me. Just pawn it off on the younger brothers. Yeah, you know, we we think that we got them all figured out with like the Alexa and all that kind of stuff. They those kids probably have some app that supersedes it or whatever that we don't know about. And this is how your parents don't find out. You just click this. Yeah, or they'll splice the cable feed and we'll just be watching the house. It'll be all calm and cool. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, there's actually just a shaker going down. Yeah. <laughs> Cops are at the door. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, officer. I'm looking in the living room right now. It's it's good. They're watching TV. Look oh, at them. Everything's good. Look at them. They're eating popcorn. Looks good. <laughs> all right. Can you guys hear me all right? Oh, yeah. yeah. You're, you're good, man. So how you doing? I'm doing all right. What are you drinking there? A little Crown Royal and it's supposed to be oh. seven up, but my son my son bought Sprite. So Oh yeah. It's funny, it's, it's not gonna, the same, eh? It's not. It'll do. Like in a pinch, it'll definitely do. But yeah. how's your hey Pete, how's your uh, how's your beer? Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? To... It's gonna be cold here soon. It'll be cold. You just wait. I may have forgotten to put some in the fridge earlier today, and now I got them in the freezer trying to speed it up. For the last 15 minutes, I've been sitting here drinking my nice cold beer in front of him. Yeah, he's shivering while he drinks it. Yeah, that's funny. He's getting kind of bent out of shape. It's been a rough week, so I was like, you know what? I'm having some whiskey tonight. Hey, man, that's Friday. Absolutely. Yep. But uh, maybe right off the get-go, Chris, you can just uh, let all the listeners know kind of who you are and, and what you got going on. Uh, so my name is Chris Dunlap. I uh, own Elk River Archery. We're a real, real small shop. Um, we pretty much do, well, we only do custom tuning. Um, and when I say custom, I shouldn't even say custom. We just do in-depth tuning. Uh, everything's by appointment. I don't have a store that you can just walk into, but I do see customers uh, here at my shop, at my house. Uh, we build footers or footing for arrows and uh like I said, just as in-depth of a tune and arrow build and bow build as you want. I, I ship them all across the country. I just got done doing one in California for a guy. Um, so that's kind of what we do. Yeah. Cool. You ever do any bows for any Canadian boys or girls, I guess? 
<laughs> I have not had anybody from uh, Canada send me one yet, no. but uh, I've shipped a lot of footers up there and a lot of arrows. Oh, right on. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll uh, we'll get rolling with that. Why don't you just let the let the folks know what uh, what you're talking about there? Uh, so the footers, uh, they're an aluminum sleeve. Um, I kind of I make no uh, I don't know what the right term for it is. I'm pretty open and honest about what we do. We cut down aluminum arrows to make our footers. Um, I do that mostly because I found it's just the, the easiest, the most consistent, and it's a way to keep it pretty inexpensive for people. So, um, you know, I spent a lot of time making charts and, and testing arrows, uh, going to other archery shops, basically getting their buckets of destroyed arrows so that I could test fit everything uh, so that we know that the footers are going to fit as well as they can without having to go through a machining process, you know, ourselves. So um, I can customize them any length people want, but the whole point beyond the footer is all structural integrity for your arrow. Uh, you know, I'm really big on, on a bow shooting as well as it can and structural integrity for an arrow, you lose structural integrity and, and your penetration's gone. Yeah. So, you know, so uh, yeah, they're just sleeves we make, we can make them pretty spot in the arrow. And again, it's all about structural integrity and being as tough as possible. Yeah. I, well, I mean, you cut down arrows, but I mean, that must help you save on cost. which I, I know they're not, they're not like, they're not expensive to buy these footers. So uh, that must be part of the ability to, you know, keep that cost down is just by, you know, using those aluminum arrows as opposed to having somebody manufacture them for you right from scratch. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can go anywhere. We charge $30 a dozen shipped. That includes the shipping. And I don't think you can go anywhere and get a dozen collars, at least that are of any quality for even close to that price. Fuck man. You no. can't get, you can't get anything for $30 anymore. Really? And I mean, the arrow, the, the aluminum arrows are good quality that most of them are 775, you know, aluminum. Yeah. Um, they've got a, a pretty thick wall to them and, uh, you know, it's just, it's a really consistent thing to work with. So, right. you know, it, it's not always the best solution, but, um, you know, I'd put it up against just about anything on the market right now Yeah. and anybody can do it themselves. You know, what I tell people, what they're paying me for is, not only my time to do it and all the material and shipping costs, but it's the time it took to figure out what's yeah. going to work and fit best for every arrow that I possibly right. can make them for. And I have to turn some people away. Like I, yeah, you know, a footer is not going to work for that arrow. Right. But, right. Right. So you know. is it hard finding those arrow shafts that are going to, because I mean, like there's a lot of different size arrows now. So it's a tricky oh, finding all those, uh, all those shafts to fit. Uh, it is now that I have, now that I've gone through most of them, um, it's it's easy to get the material now to build, but it was a giant. I mean, it was years of collecting data to figure yeah. out and, and and make the charts that uh, mm -hmm. that we use so we know what fits. Because what the manufacturer states too isn't always fully correct. Yeah. You gotcha. know, so so there's a lot of manufacturers that'll state their their outside diameter and it's slightly off. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've we've been able to find the right arrow shafts just by testing yeah, you know gotcha. and and you do need a certain amount of gap to get the glue to stick these are our glue on it's a question mm -hmm. i get all the time is there a lip on them no um and i have my reasons for thinking that that's actually better than having something that has a lip to it mm -hmm. uh you know and i i've, I've talked about it on other podcasts before but <clears throat> i like gluing them on one the glue adds structural integrity that a simple collar doesn't have it's not adhered to it it's not bonded to it right so it doesn't quite have the same structural integrity and then you know you've always got 
multiple planes you're dealing with to have a square surface. So if you have an arrow, it's got to be square with a collar. The inside of the collar has to be square and the outside of the collar has to be square. Then yeah. the face of the broadhead has, or the field tip has to be square mm-hmm. with a footer. You know, you can leave them back a 16th of an inch. So you can still square your arrow easily. Right. Right. And you're only relying on that one surface to be perfectly square. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a give and take to both. No, you yeah. can't take them off. Yes, I've seen the glue come loose and had them slide up the arrow and it's a real pain in the butt, but uh, you know, there's yeah. a give and take to everything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and that's going to happen. Uh, I mean, that happens with inserts. That happens with everything, really. You know, just sometimes it just shit happens. It, usually when people don't do the right process, they're not cleaning their bow properly. They, you know, they're not making sure all that dust's off. They're just doing something. They miss one simple little sl- step or they get sloppy or lazy. And then that's typically what I find when, when that itch situation happens yeah i've had a couple of clients that literally shot hundreds of arrows a day i'm not kidding these guys would end yeah. you know after three months they'd come to me oh look this footer moved a half inch it's like dude <laughs> you've got that one arrow has you know well over a thousand hits yeah. into a target yeah, yeah after that much it's probably getting the glue's probably gonna get a little weak. oh yeah something yeah well if you think of the energy every time that arrow is hitting that target i mean something's gonna give eventually for the average yeah. person that's probably a couple of years worth of shooting too yeah. Yeah. So. I, you know, I, I don't claim that they're going to make your arrows unbreakable by any means, but literally I have a couple arrows guys shot into steel targets at 3d shoots. The field tip was destroyed. The rest of the arrow is perfectly fine. You spin the field tip out and Oh, no way. Put a new field tip in it and they're good to go. Nice. Nice. So how long have you been doing this for? Uh, so the archery shop, I started what four years ago now. Um, <clears throat> but I've been into bow hunting for 20 gosh, probably 21 years now. So, and I've just always kind of wanted to learn more and tinker. And yeah, it wasn't until probably eight years ago, I got really serious about tinkering and wanting to learn on my own. I just, I kind of got tired of, uh, you know, I'd go to a shop and have a new bow or feel like my bow needed to be tuned. And it was like every shop I went to and everybody that touched it did something different. Yeah. And every once in a while it'd be great. And then sometimes it would suck. Yeah. You know, that's... sometimes I'd, I'd leave a shop feeling like it shot worse than when I took it in there. Yeah, man. That's one thing that that's why I got into making my own arrows, doing all my own stuff, setting up my bows, you know, checking cam sync, cam tiny, cam, cam lean, doing all that myself, just because it just seemed like, and, and you know, I get it, you know, guys, I mean, they're doing a lot of bows a day and you know, it's just, it's just how it is. I mean, it's human error too. And sometimes things get overlooked and it is what it is, but when it, you're doing it yourself, you can really, you can really pay attention. You can really fine tune it. And, you know, it's not just one of those things where like, Oh, it's good enough. I mean, then also not only that you get the, you have the luxury of, you can do something, you can try it out, you can shoot, you can do, you know, you can take your time in the process and do it yourself too. And uh, you know, that's kind of one thing I wanted to talk about. You talk with you here today is about um, you know, how you, how you get through, like how you get a bow from like off the shelf, out the door like what you're doing in terms of like buying a new bow or you're helping somebody buy a new bow what they're looking for you know getting away from branding you know this bow is better than that bow which you hear lots especially these days with social media like guys are they just want to buy a bow because it says Hoyt or because it says Matthews you know but I mean every bow these days seems like you know they're a good bow and then kind of what process you go through for I guess master tuning your bows because it's it's 
the way I tune my bow is I make everything square. Like I, I follow the T. So everything is a perfect T off my line, off my string. And that's the way uh, a traditional or uh, a tournament guy taught me. He, you know, keep everything square off your string. And then you, if everything's set right, you shouldn't have to be messing with your rest. And, you, you know, and like myself, I don't paper tune anything ever. So I just work with level squareness. And then, you know, if there's anything, if there's any issues with broadheads and that is, I usually find it's usually in my arrows. So um, maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Maybe you can just walk us through, you know, right in the store, right off the shelf. What are you looking for in a new bow? Uh, so, I mean, it, 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 if I'm talking about myself, I have definitely a set of parameters that I look for. I don't worry about speed. That's never really been my thing. Um, although I do have a set speed I like to hit. Uh, it's a little easier for me to hit that speed. Just, I, I mean, I have a 31 and a half inch draw and I normally shoot 80 pounds. So, oh, yeah. you know, so that's, I, yeah. I, I, I don't worry about it. Uh, but you know, I think looking for a bow that's smooth on the draw, when I say that, um, I'm not talking about most bows anymore, aren't going to feel gritty or aren't going to feel weird, but there are definitely bows that stack really hard, you know, um, and, feel like you're pulling way more than 70 pounds or 80 mm -hmm. pounds as you get, especially longer in the draw length, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, there were some Bowtex back in the day where, uh, and I can't remember which ones they were off the top of my head, but literally it was like, you know, at 30 inches, they were horrendous. I think it was like the RPM 360, like at 30 inches, that thing stacked so heavy. It was just, it was horrible. Um, so I look for a bow that's smooth on the draw, meaning the weight, and, and the, the draw comes back easy. There's no huge hump. There's no big drop off. Um, you know, there's always going to be some drop off, but just, just a real nice, easy, smooth draw, something that if an animal's near or I need to draw and I think I might catch their attention, I can draw it really slow. I can take 10 seconds to get that bow back. Um, I don't have to rip it back. I don't have that really hard sticky spot. Mm -hmm. So that's something I look for. Yeah. Uh, axle axle, super important to me, big guy, tall guy. I can't shoot anything below 32 inches. And I prefer more like 34, 35 inch axle axle. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't worry about brace height a whole lot anymore. It used to be more of an issue, I think back in the day, but now, you know, with better tuning, better equipment, brace height is not quite as much of an issue. Um, and then of course, you know, I want something that's going to be smooth on the shot, but that's probably lower on my list. Quiet is higher on my list. So um, I'm more worried about how loud the bow is going to be on the shot versus how smooth it is. You know, it, it, at game time, when the adrenaline's pumping, you're not going to feel that bow go off anyhow. Yeah, for sure. You know, you're, yeah. you're not going to feel that little bit of hand shock. Yeah. Okay. No. Maybe when you're target shooting or your backyard or whatever, you can feel it, but it yeah. really doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot. No. And that's so. what I tell everyone too. When, and when you're shooting at an animal, you're not noticing any of that stuff. If you're, I mean, yeah, like I, you said, though, if you're doing, if you're doing just shoots, um, but I mean, like for the most part, everybody I know and everybody probably listening to this show, they're going to be using it for, for hunting. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I cater to. It's like, I, I, you know, I'm wanting to tune a, tune a hunting bow the way the tournament guys tune their, right. you know, tournament bows, but, um, you know, string angles important to me too. Had the, you know, how natural, natural your head position is. So but that goes back to, for me, a longer axle axle bow, Yeah. you know, um, if I'm working with a client and they're asking me what bow, I usually tell them to go to the bow shop and forget looking at the price tag and ask to shoot every mainline bow they have Yeah. and 
close your eyes and shoot it. Yeah. You know, shoot it close up and just forget about the name, forget about the price tag, what feels good in the hand, you know, that, yeah. that kind of stuff that mm -hmm. I, I don't ever try and recommend a particular bow to a customer because everybody's hand, everybody's hand shapes different. Everybody feels different. Everybody's face is different. You know, it's yeah. just, everything's different. So, um, you know, part of it, I can help guide them a little bit when we're taking into consideration. Well, okay. What kind of weight and what kind of speed do you want to get out of a bow and how are we going to get there? Um, or is it even feasible? Yeah, for you sure. What, what are you using it for? Is, the, is like, yeah, that's number one for sure. Yeah. Cool. Were you going to say something there, Pete? Yeah, I was going to say that's exactly how I went and picked my bow out this year. It was yeah. just read all the stats on it, you know, just to get an idea what each bow, you know, has and uh, let offs and all that kind of stuff. But I went in with my notebook and just kind of, I shot everything that was on my list, you know, kind of like what you're saying. And I didn't care what I walked out of the, the store with. It was just what felt a hundred percent. And, you know, like we were talking before, Kevin, I took one shot with that, with the Ventum uh, pro or the Ventum pro uh, 33 there. It was one shot. And I look back at my wife and she was just like, yeah, that's the one. And I was like, how do you know? And just like, I haven't seen a smile. Well, haven't seen a smile that big on your face with all the bows I had shot. And it was just like, this is it. This is the one that feels perfect. Yeah. I, just I didn't care about one. anything else. I just yeah. bought my son one of those. Did oh, you? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. How does he like it? Uh, we haven't set it up yet. I, I literally oh, okay. been slacking with other people's. I just set up a PSE that I was really impressed with. Uh, actually uh, pumped out some huge numbers, 29 and a half inch draw, 460 grain arrow, 304 feet per second. And it was wow. literally shooting bare shafts, bullet holes like crazy. Wow. So that's that was a fun one to set up. Did yeah, I shot one of those too. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I got this. I'm going to text my wife here. <laughs> if she can't help me out. You guys are killing me right now. Babe, babe bring me a beer. I'm a, I can't move. I'm on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. So once you get a bow set up, how do you let's talk about your how you tune your bow from like from like from the time you pull it out of the box or off the shelf to the time you're ready to go to it's set up ready to go it's good good to go uh so i'll see how in depth i can make this <laughs> you know usually uh first thing i'm gonna do is stick it in the bow vise um i'm gonna check that the string stop is not actually contacting the string that's an important step when you actually put a level on your string and you're leveling everything because if the string stop is contacting the string one it's actually going to be louder you want like a credit card or papers width in between the string stop and the string when it's just static uh so i move that make that adjustment then i'm going to stick a level on it first thing i'm going to do is put an arrow on it start bolting the rest up i'm going to level the rest um so i just have a little level i stick right on the mm -hmm. the main mounting bar level that get that bolted on from there uh, i'm going to start working with getting my left to right um, at roughly 13 16 so that's where i like to start with every bow um, unless i happen to know a particular brand like something a little different so uh, the, like that pse i knew it likes to be out just a little bit so i started it at seven eighths um, and that's where square naturally was on the bow so um, i have a little ruler that goes in 30 seconds of an inch and you know i just checked um, from the back side of the the riser and the front side of the riser on the arrow just to make sure it's as square as I possibly could make it. Uh, from there, I'm going to make sure the arrow is completely level. Um, depends on the bow, whether it goes through the burger hole, like the PSE, the 
you have to set that one up a little different. Um, but I'm going to set the arrow level where it's supposed to be based off of what brand of bow it is. Um, if it's a Hoyt, I start with the bottom of the arrow going roughly through the center of the burger hole. Yeah. So it's not the center of the arrow through the center of the burger hole, just with Hoyts. I've always set them up that way and it seems where they tune the best. With yeah, no, it, is it, what is oh, that? Ahead. Is that, uh, cause I've always done that. I've always just done the bottom of the arrow level off the level with the center of the burger hole. Now are all, bow, I didn't realize that the bows, certain bows requires different things. I just always PFC, done it that way. Yeah, and I've yeah. shot Hoyt, you know, um, I shot Hoyt, uh, prime Matthews. And I've always just set it up that way. I've always found that I get the best reaction when I set it up that way. With those, you can, with the PSE, uh, you can't, you actually have to measure. Um, there's two holes in the, in the cams. Um, I take old axles that I have and stick them through the holes. And then I measure center and you literally want that arrow dead center between oh, yeah. those two cams, um, and the holes in the cams. Right. Um, otherwise, I have ended up, I can't even remember the last time I did one, I was fighting it before I learned that trick. Um, I think it was a tail high tear constantly. Um, and it was just driving me crazy. So, um, another friend of mine, who's really good at tuning, he's the one that said, Hey man, on these PSEs, these new cams, you've got to go dead center. So that's what I did. Never since then they've tuned out perfect. So uh, a part of that's learning the bow, but yeah, so I'll get that set up, put my D loop on, tie a knock set in. I, I used to do two knock sets. Now I do one. No really particular reason other than, you know, you don't really need to. Yeah. Um, from there, I'll go check timing and um, I will correct the timing. And then I will go back and check my arrow level. Sometimes once you've adjusted timing, your arrow is not level anymore. The yeah, one thing I right. never do, you'll never see me move a D loop up or down on the string. Right. You once it's been set there. Yeah. Yeah. You, you start twisting that thing. Um, much more than just a correction, you know, to make sure that it's, it's straight. Um, and you can literally, uh, you know, damage that center serving. Once that center serving separated, then you start getting peak rotation down the road. It's just a pain in the ass. So if my arrow is no longer level, I actually cut my D loop off, cut my knock set off, tie a new D D loop on Mm -hmm. new knock set on level, because I know my cams are timed. I'll check cam timing one more time. Now that I've moved it and I'm pulling from a different spot on the string. And I just kind of work that until cam timing is dead nuts where I think it should be and uh, where the arrow's level. At that point, that's when I'm going to start running it through a piece of paper and just kind of see what reaction I'm getting, Um, you know, and usually I have no up and down issues from there. Um, Every once in a while, you know, I'll say like the Hoyts and stuff, some of them will tune out dead level. Some prefer like a 16th of an inch tail high. Right. Okay. Uh, but that doesn't bug me either, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, but I try and be as close as possible. I wouldn't want to go an eighth tail high. That's way too much to me, you know, but a 16th of an inch just barely, um, is not a big deal, but yeah, it's just checking, you know, checking all those things, run it through paper, make adjustments. we got a left tear. We're either shimming a cam to the left. I don't touch the rest again. So once that 13 sixteenths or whatever it is that gave me center shot to start with, once that's been established, that rest stays right there. Yeah. And gotcha. I'm either shimming the cam to the left or I'm using yokes if it has yokes um, to, you know, if it's a left tear, I'm going to put like half a twist in the left, gotcha. take half a twist out of the right. So I don't affect timing. Right. You know, if it's, if it's got dual yokes, like a Bowtech would, 
mm-hmm. depending on the size of the tear, I'll do half a twist in the top and bottom, half a twist out. Right. And, and just finesse it from there. Yeah. Um, you know, so gotcha. that's, that's where I start. A lot of times I will, I, so I still do paper tune, um, and I still will run bare shafts through paper. Um, once I get a good bullet hole with a fletched arrow, if I have one, I'm going to check a bare shaft to see how that arrow is really coming off. Usually I'm shooting close enough that the fletches can't correct a whole lot. And it's not a, it's not a big deal. Um, the hard part with bare shaft tuning, a lot of guys get really crazy with it. Bare shaft tuning is really hard if your form is not super consistent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That hand torque, if it's mm -hmm. off a little bit, you're, I'll shoot an arrow bare shaft when just to get, to see like for clocking arrow, to see which way it's spinning Mm -hmm. off the string. But other than yep. that, yeah, I don't. But then again, you know, I, I, I've always just run a perfect tee, like everything level, cam, sync, timing, everything's level, everything's good, and I've always found the arrows shoot pretty freaking good. Um, mm-hmm. If if the bow is set up, you know, dead nuts, level, everything's square and level. I've never had an issue. Never had to touch my rest. I, I literally had a bow come in once that a local shop had tuned, and I don't like to bash any local shops. That's not what this is about. But literally, the guy drew back on a bowl. And his arrow fell off because his broadhead hit his riser because they had that arrow canned so far to the right. Wow. So literally, you know, oh, your arrows like yeah. it, it, they were That's screwing crazy. his rest to get a to get a perfect, you know, bullet oh. hole. And the guy never shot broadheads before season. Oh man. You know, and he literally goes out and he's like, he comes to me the next day. He's like, dude, like I, I don't know what happened. I put three arrows on, they all fell off. <laughs> no That's shit. Crazy. Me, no, I'm not, I'm not kidding. It was, it was, I was like, what the hell? I grabbed the bow, put the arrow on, and you can see it canted so far that it's just ridiculous. And so, wow. I like, I've had, I've heard guys like, you know, hitting the site and doing stuff like that, but never the riser. That's freaking, that's a first. It was, it was that bad. Like, it was literally that rest was so far to the right that, you know, uh, it it just was nuts. I got, I got a question for you on uh, the bear shaft tuning. I understand the whole process. I usually, uh, like I've done the paper tuning and stuff like that. It's been, I have to do mine outside here. So I'm waiting for a calm day and I'm going to, I've got some shafts to to clock my arrows. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I think of bear shaft tuning, I understand it'll kind of expose your tears and all, you know, some micro stuff that's there. But if you don't have your fletchings on, the weight of your fletchings, I know they're not a lot, but won't that also affect the flight of it compared to, shooting an arrow with the fletchings on? Cause now you've got a weight difference. Well, the weight difference. No, not, I mean, you're okay. not going to be shooting long enough with bare shafts that the weight difference is going to matter. Uh, I'm literally, I, I've kind of had to test this with certain people, um, to kind of show them like, you know, those fletches are going to rough. If you're running three, like three blazers, roughly 18 grains, yeah. um, you're going to get out past 40 yards before that matters. What it will matter is it does change the spine of your arrow a little bit. So the more weight you put on the back, the stiffer you make the arrow, the more weight you put up front, the weaker you make it. Uh, So if you're, if you're in a spot where your arrow spine is, is really kind of close, you're kind of on that edge, then not having fletches can, can make a difference and it can, it can show, um, you know, that you're maybe underspined that as soon as you put the fletches on, you wouldn't be, but you've got, it, it, it's a real fine edge and you don't see that very often where, gotcha. where that's an issue. So, you know, and for most people, um, 
for bare shaft tuning, I tell them to run it through paper and call it good. I don't recommend that most people step back 20 yards or 30 yards or 40 yards and try and shoot bare shafts because most people's form isn't good enough, right? A bare shaft is going to expose it's it's a bow tuning. It's going to expose any bow tuning issues. It's going to expose any uh, spine issues, and it's going to expose any form issues. The question is, is does the person have the knowledge to understand which one of those issues or all three, you know, that it's exposing when you have when you have a problem? Yeah, I know there's guys sure. that will do it, and I've done it before. I've put videos up and pictures up of, um, you know, I had one bow. I stepped back at, I think it was. Maybe it was only 20 yards with that bow, but I put all 12 arrows. I shot 12 arrows in a row and I put all 12 arrows in the heart with bear shafts, Wow! you know, at, at 20 yards. I did another one where it was 40 yards. I'm not saying my form is great. Just happened to work out with that bow that way, but not a lot of, a lot of shooters can, can do that. So guys will come to me and they want to do this bear shaft and they want to shoot 20 yards with it. And you know, their arrows canted up or sideways and it, it looks funky and they want to mess with it. And it's like, we can keep messing with this. But when you shoot through paper at three feet, it's perfect. Yeah. So, gotcha. you know, that's fair enough. Put some broadheads on your field or on your fletched arrows. That's the key to me. Do your broadheads hit where your field points hit? Yeah. That's the stage where I'm at right now. I was telling Kevin the other night, it's a little windy here right now, kind of having on and off days. And uh, my bow is shooting, is shooting pretty good. Like I'm, I'm quite happy with it. I'm just starting to stretch out to 60 yards now and just consistently. So I can't blame uh, my grouping big or small on anything, but I just got to put more arrows out there. Just mm -hmm. been working a lot. So I, you know, I'm associating that with me, muscle memory and that kind of stuff. So I've been trying to build that up and I'm at the point now where things are tightening up and it's like, okay, I started running a few broadheads to so do broadhead tuning. So I'll shoot my broadhead first and then I'll chase it with uh, just my field point. So I don't wreck my arrows with my broadheads yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they were, they were apart and it wasn't a big deal because we've got the chart and everything. Okay. Just got to make some slight, both, both arrows looked good in the air. It's not like they were doing the funky chicken or anything like that, Yeah, but they were a little bit apart. And then, so I just took a couple of shots, but I was getting tired and just kind of, I was like, okay, I'm just going to stop now. Cause you start making adjustments anytime when you're tired and you're, you're probably, well, I, I tell people don't, don't chase don't chase a bad set of groups. Like if you're having, if you're not grouping well one day, don't chase it. That's right. The next day, shoot again. If you're mm -hmm. still having grouping issues, then let's talk. But and you might be having a bad shooting day and not even know that you're having a bad shooting day. And then you yeah. get frustrated chasing it. And then pretty soon you've adjusted so much crap in your bow and chase. And two days later, it's right back to where it was before. And you've just adjusted all the stuff. Yeah, right. So the last shot I took with my broadhead and we're talking like I did move my rest in cause they were separated. So I moved it the correct way. And I mean, I piled the little, I had like a one inch target at 30 yards, just a little piece of paper just stuck in my target. Pounded it right through the middle. I could see it. And I was like, Oh yeah, here we are. And then I chased it with my field tip. My field tip was six inches to the left of that. And I just packed up everything <laughs> and went home. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if it was me being tired, but Every, every tiny, I didn't make many, I made like two adjustments, but the two adjustments i made according to the broadhead fixed or, you know, they just, the height and everything. Yeah. I was just, hey, I'm good now. And then after I chased with that second arrow, I was like, I got to be tired or something. Cause that, that field point isn't supposed to move. If anything's going to move, it should be the broadhead. Like it, it, me, cause that's going to expose all my weaknesses. Yeah. And it's just, well, like, and essentially with the broadheads, what I tell people when they don't fly the same. Um, that means they're not coming off the bow the same. Exactly. 
And what happens is your fletching will correct a lot of things, right? But it takes longer to correct a broad head than it does a field point. So the difference that you're seeing is, is how fast the veins are correcting the arrow flight. Yeah. Right. If that makes sense. It yeah. does. So, you know, that's where broadhead tuning, you know, moving the rest just slightly is very small increments, right? It's just helping to kind of repoint that arrow to where the veins are correcting it soon enough to hit in the same spot. If, if that makes sense, it's, it's a little yeah. hard to explain, but no, no, that, that makes sense. And, and that's yeah. like, so if I go out and having a bad day and I know it like, you know, most of the time it's me. If I know if I am feeling good and everything's going good and all of a sudden, you know, one day you're going on and you're just not shooting good. First thing I'm doing is I'm putting my bow back in the vise, putting the laser on. I'm just making sure nothing got bumped. You know, right away I'm checking my rest. First of all, I'm checking to make sure it's not, you know, it had, didn't get moved at all. Everything's still good. If that, if that's fine, then, you know, then I'll just backtrack. I'll go check my cams, uh, you know, check all that. And if everything's good, then I'll go shoot again. And if it's something's not right, then, you know, then I'm looking at my arrows, but I, I never, ever take that my bow. And that was one thing I was taught by those tournament guys was like, never take your bow. That bow was, was made, like it was designed in the, when they engineered it, it was engineered to be like perfectly like they called it a T. So you have your string and your arrow and it's like a perfect T and they're, you know, when they designed it, they didn't design it to be anything other than that. So if there's something else going on, it's either you, which is the most likely the case, yeah. or, you know, there's something off in your bow or it's your arrow and little things on air arrow. I noticed make a huge difference. Like just even twisting your knock a quarter inch makes a huge difference on your arrows. It can. Well, and I think arrow builds make a huge difference. Yeah. So one of the things I saw is when I started spinning arrows and cutting them from both ends and squaring both ends, no matter whether I'd cut from them or not, I started seeing huge improvements in flight and, and coal arrows, yeah. right? You'd have that one arrow. It's like, this one just doesn't fly right. Well, I don't really find that to be an issue anymore. You know, yeah. I have by, by the build process and nothing we do is a secret. Like I'm don't have some secret sauce, special, whatever, you know, it's literally just taking your time. It takes me time to set up a bow. I'm going to spend an hour to an hour and a half setting a bow up. Most right. places don't have that kind of time. They've got other customers to deal with. I might be the fastest guy, but I'm super meticulous, right? Yeah. If I don't like how I tied an ox set on, I'm just cutting it off and starting over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because I want things to just be, you know, I, I want to set everybody's stuff up as OCD as I would set my own up. Yeah, that's cool. That's what we were talking point. about earlier. Yeah. That's what we were talking about earlier was you get these bows to these bow shops and then all of a sudden guys are, they've got 30 bows on the rack and they're trying to get, you know, it's Friday and they got guys phoning them every two minutes saying, Hey, I need my bow. I need my bow. I need my bow. So they're just, you know, rushing these well, and bows. You got, out 10 other guys, you got 10 other guys in the shop asking questions about arrows yeah. and yeah. sites and cases and you know, it's, yeah. it, it's just hard and it's kind of in some ways in the shops, and this is not a bash on shops, cause I really don't want to do that. You know, it's almost becoming a lost art to be able to do more in depth, you know, yeah. every there, there's not a shop here locally that I know of that when they go shoot through paper, if you have a right or left tear, it doesn't instantly move your rest rather than putting it back in the press mm -hmm. and yoking it. If you can't get rid of it, I've seen one shop in particular, they'll start yoking it, but that's not where they start. And it's like, no, that, that is your starting point. Yeah. Right. If you have yeah. a right or left tear. That's your starting point or moving shims, moving shims is a giant pain in the butt. 
for a lot of them. PSE, you know, I, I'm not going to bash any brand. I love that PSE bow the other day, but literally was really frustrated because uh, I had a, what did I have? I had a right tear and I can't remember, right or left tear. But either way, when I started taking the axle out, literally five shims fell out of one side. That's all these itty bitty little (laughs) shims. And it was like, they just kept shoving. And I'm like, come on guys, you could have taken 10 extra seconds to find two shims that would have done what those five would do. Yeah. And just have different size shims. (laughs) I mean, oh my God, like (laughs) it's, it's horrible. You know, and most places don't want to do it because that sucks. Yeah, it's not sure. fun. You're constantly dropping shims and you got to find them again and you got to make sure you have the right one. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's not fun, but yeah. it's what it should be. That's mm-hmm. the correct way. Because like you see, you know, these, these engineers and these manufacturers, these companies, they manufacture this stuff to, you know, in my opinion, at least if they're any good, they've manufactured it to run level. They've manufactured yeah. it to run square on the bow, right? That's what it should be doing. If you have to be outside of that to make your arrow shoot good, you need to look at, at why. Mm-hmm. You know, is it possible that, you know, from a manufacturing standpoint, and they're manufacturing so many, that you're going to get one bow that literally all the tolerances are perfect, and that bow tunes so easy, and you could have you know, the next bow come in and it just doesn't want to tune for shit. And you can't mm-hmm. figure out why. Sorry, I don't know if cussing is okay on your podcast. Oh, but, yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it won't tune. And you're yeah. like, what the hell? Because every other one will. Well, at, there is a certain point where it's like, look, send this back to the manufacturer. Because, you know, it's like people used to say, don't buy a car that was built on a Friday or a Monday. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, nobody yeah. wants to be at work Monday. And by Friday, everybody just wants off. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, they're doing crap yeah. work. So, you know. I mean, yeah. who knows what was machined when, um, but for the most part, you know, these bows should yeah. 90, well, 90, it, 99% of the time, these bows should all tune really well. They should be able to tune as close to square as possible or level, um, you know, and it, it, if your bow's not tuning where the air is running square to the riser, it's generally a form grip pressure issue somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, I, th- and I that's think that's sometimes- huge with a lot of guys is just the grip. Like how they're yeah. holding the bow. You know, everybody's body composition is different. How long your arms are, how well your forearm twists, like your elbow, your shoulders, your face pressure, where you can anchor, you know, but your hand shape is huge because yeah. not every bow is going to fit in your hand right. And not every set of grips is going to fit right. And, you know, so that's where some of that comes into it. And it's, it's not that the person's got bad form. But just the composition and shape and size of their hand makes it difficult. I have a couple of customers, their form looks, if you were to evaluate it and I was take video, their form looks perfect. Yeah. Yet they have huge torque issues. Yeah. It's just the way their hand is. So you've got yeah. to learn to work around that some, you know, um, you know, all these numbers and all these things I'm throwing out, they're great until you get a guy whose body just doesn't cooperate with that. So yeah. then it's adjusting. How do we work around that? A hand shape is, is not an easy fix by any means. You know, uh, there's an exception to every rule. So everything that we're talking about, you know, that's not going to necessarily work for every person. It yeah. will work for the average person, but there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. You know, when I say, well, your broadhead should fly the same as field points. Yes, but there's exceptions to that. There's reasons why they may not, right? Yeah. You know, if you have a torque issue based off of just how your body composition is, then, you know, there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, then it becomes, okay, well, maybe you do need to recite in for broadheads. It, it's not the end of the world, you know? Right. Um, but the other thing is your bow kind of step back a little bit. Your bow is going to be quieter and you're going to get the most out of it when you have it set up the way it's supposed to function, right? Yeah. So square level, the way it was manufactured for, that's when you're going to squeeze the absolute most of that. It's also when it's going to be its smoothest and its quietest. Yeah, gotcha. makes sense. You know, and and I, I say the, the quietest part, you know, well, that's relative because as you start getting heavier on arrows, it's just going to get quieter. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think well, and that's, and that's, too, go ahead, Pete. Oh, I was going to say, I think a person too has to be open-minded that it could be something in their form and not, I know certain people who I'm sure if they were into it, you know, it would always be the equipment's fault. It'd be something with the arrow. It'd be, it's got to be the broadhead. It's got to be, I don't know, out of tune where everything could be perfect. And I think a person's got to be open-minded where it's like, okay, it could be a form thing and be able to take a little bit of constructive criticism and be like, okay, well, let's, let's see if we can fix this here. Like, this is what we got to work on. Or like you said, you got to find a workaround somehow, because if it is a funny hand problem, but I think you got to be able to admit that it, there's a good chance it could be your form too. If it is, if everything is set up properly and that'll help you, you know, kind of work on that one thing instead of trying to blame something else, I guess. Yeah. I've had a couple of customers actually get kind of upset. It's like, well, you said, you know, when you tune this, it was, we're gonna be able to shoot broadheads the same. And it's like, yeah, most of the time, but I, you know, there's certain, there's certain instances where it's just not, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't want a customer to be upset and think that their bow's not tuned right or something else. It's just not going to happen for every person period. You know, yeah. um, you know, so, I, I mean, I love it when customers send me bows at the same time. I hate it because then I'm tuning it to me. Yeah. And yeah, ultimately yeah. I want to tune to the person. Yeah, in my shop, I'm always the first person to shoot the bow after I have it initially set up because I have a pretty neutral grip. I've been doing it long enough that I, you know, know, okay, depending on the tear I get will tell me where I think it probably will need adjusted first, but I don't make any adjustments to the bow until after the customer shot it. So I'll shoot one arrow through it, maybe two, see what kind of tear I'm getting, and then hand it to the customer. From there, they're shooting it, and it's all tuned directly to them. That's good. Yeah, gotcha. So, so for the guys who have hand torque issues and, and not the fact that it's anything to do with their form, like it's just simply shape, body, you know, just the body part. What are kind of the, some of the workarounds you're talking about to to kind of get around that? Uh, you know, there are aftermarket grips. There's grip tape you can try. So you can try and help fatten the grip up. You can try and help flatten the surface out on the back. You can buy... Um, different grips from different manufacturers for a high risk, low risk, you know, right, all those yeah. things. That's one way to do it. The other way is literally to, you know, go ahead and induce some extra cam lean. Oh, I get you. One way or the other, if you need to, yeah. you know, go ahead and shim, you know, the cams a little farther than maybe I would need them, but that's just making it, you know, kind of an individual thing. At some point though, there's only so far I will take a cam. There's only so much cam lean I will put in. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, now we have to think about moving the rest some. And those are anomalies, but it does happen. Um, right. I have another customer, worked with him forever. And inevitably, I get his bow set up where it needs to be. But I already know I'm going to have to put as much cam lean in as I feel comfortable with. So I'm going to twist that left yoke <laughs> quite a bit. Right. 
um, that cam's going to be leaning to where, you know, his arrows crossing at a point, you know, well before the D loop, um, you know, ultimately when I'm setting up a bow, I actually like to have no cam lean too. It's something I didn't talk about earlier, but I try and have it as static as I can, as, as straight as I can, both cams. Mm-hmm. And I've had guys argue with me, well, Bowtech says you're supposed to do this, right? You're supposed to put the laser on it. That's okay. We can argue that all you want, but, um, I try and have as little cam lean as possible for like this particular customer. I have to put a ton of left into the top cam. He, he shoots mostly Hoyts, right? So the Hoyts, at least before the last two years had yokes, got to put a lot of left lean in it. And then I'm going to end up having to move the rest some too. It's, but it's the only way that that guy will get good paper holes, but it's beyond the paper holes. It's his broadhead flight as well. Yeah. Right. If his broadheads flew perfect, but it tore like shit in paper, I wouldn't care. Yeah. Right. Paper is only a, a starting point measurement. Paper is not the end all be all of anything. Yeah. I've never, right? like it, I said, it, I've never paper tuned. And I've just always found if I'm getting good reaction downrange, then things are working good. I never really, you know, I never, never got, but that, that goes back to the same guys who told me right off the bow, everything's got to be a person. They, they called it the T. So I do. And then, you know, everything's at zero, which yeah. is perfectly level square. Uh, and if everything's yep. good on the bow, then it's, it's uh, most like it's a U issue or it's your arrow issue. And then it comes down to, you know, right off, right. Bear shaft clocking your arrow, which way is the arrow spinning off the string? I mean, if you, you know, um, that's a huge debate right now with a lot of guys, man, I get, I, I, I stopped going on archery talk. Cause I was so sick of the debate on clocking arrows. Oh, really? Well, I mean, if the arrow is spinning left or right off the string, the only thing that's going to switch, like make it say, say it's, uh, it's spinning left off the string. And then you're you, for 90, 90 plus percent of right hand shooters. Yeah. So then you put, you know, like most guys have a right angle or right helical um, fletching that arrow is going to be spinning left and then it's going to have to switch gears and spin. Right. I mean, it's like going from forward to reverse. Do you know what I mean? Like you're it, taking, you're, you're, you're taking efficiency out of your arrow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're literally, you're literally making it stop going one direction, creating more drag and making it start going another direction. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are guys that swear they've done a ton of testing and it makes no difference. I'll be honest. I've done a lot of accuracy testing. I'm not a good enough shooter to actually tell you that I noticed a difference that, that is like, I don't want to say tangible where I can prove it. Like my groups were a quarter of an inch better. Right. But I know it at least made me feel better. And that's one of the big keys to archery. Like you've got to be a hundred percent confident in your equipment and in yourself. If you're not, then you're hurting yourself. So You know, in some ways, it just makes me feel better. My arrows come off going left. You know what? I'm going to put a left helical on it. Guys say, well, they unscrew going. Okay. Your arrows, your broadhead's not going to unscrew going through an animal, man. This is not going to happen. (laughs) But like the broadhead's It's spinning left. And as soon as the broadhead hits some resistance, your arrow's going to start spinning. And it's like, no, just stop. That That's just, it's such crap. You know, dude, when that arrow hits into a foam target, maybe it'll a little bit. But it's not going to unspin and come off. Like it's you know how many no. spins you have to have for that thing to come <laughs> off there. Like yeah, well, hit, essentially everything's moving forward. So even if one's spinning one direction and the other one's not spinning at all, they're still pushing forward. So it just yeah. Well, once it has know, a it, point of impact, it's anything. It's it's a fast moving object hitting something solid that's stable. You know, it 
it's coming. Everything in that front of that tip is getting pushed. That whole front tip of that broadhead is getting pushed to the knock. So yeah, it's, it's not coming. It's not separating. No. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, it, you know, um, do you have to clock your arrows? No. Again, I don't know of any study that definitively said they're more accurate. But again, we go back to, I know a lot of pro shooters that will clock their arrows for tournaments. And it's like, well, why not? Yeah. Why wouldn't you, again, just think about the efficiency. It might not make enough difference for you to notice. But just in my little pea brain, if my arrow starts spinning left and has to stop and correct and go right, yeah, I have more potential for it to be off target. I'm losing energy. I'm losing speed. Yeah. I'm losing all sorts of things. So if my arrow wants to come off spinning left, then let's make it spin left. Well, and two, the way I look at it is like Archer's paradox is kicking in right off the string. And if it's something is going naturally one way, you know, the natural motion of the arrow is to go left. And now you have, so you've added something to make it spin right. Like you have, you're, you're adding, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let it yeah. do naturally what it wants to do. And I, you know, Pete and I, we've been talking about this, uh, uh, I think we've been talking on air and, uh, and just, you know, between each other. And like, I, I noticed at 50 yards, I noticed a big difference, huge difference. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's good to hear somebody, you know, is seeing a difference in it, but um, yeah, you know, I think clocking is just another step again, you know, the whole hunting game or target, whatever we're talking, this is a game of millimeters, man. I have, I've told stories before where literally I shot a cow elk um, years ago, shot her low and I mean, it was so low that literally there was one broadhead slice, one, one, one of the three, it was a three blade, one blade through the bottom of her heart, just one slice. Wow. Yeah. That's all it takes. But, you, you know, it killed her. Yeah. And, um, but you think about how big those blades are. It was a muzzy back then I was shooting, you know, just a half inch, a quarter inch difference. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you start talking about a game of, of inches and, 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 or less, all those little things that you can help take out can make the difference, Yeah, for you sure. know, and we haven't even talked about the whole structural integrity piece, really. I mean, we talked about the footers at the beginning, but you know, if you have the best tuned bow in the world, doesn't mean a damn thing. If your arrow comes apart or your broadhead comes apart or your broadhead is dull as crap or, you know, whatever, as soon as you hit the animal, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that that's where, you know, it, it's trying to get people to understand you kind of got to have it all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah uh, for sure. I'm not an extreme front of center guy, but you know what? I found what seems to work the best for front of center. I found what seems to work for the average person weight and speed. And so that's where I try and help kind of guide people. I've shot a ton of animals. Um, I know there's people who have shot a lot more than I have. I mean, yeah. they just have, but I've, I've, I've killed my fair share with a bow and I've lost my fair share with a bow. I'm not going to deny that. Um, yeah. you know, and I always wondered, and I've had some really weird experiences, uh, you know, where I, like I shot an elk, uh, here in Oregon and it was 20 yards first shot. Uh, I thought my first shot was actually low. So bull ran out 40 stopped. I was able to get another arrow in him, hard quarter and away. The arrows were fletched deep in what appeared to be the last couple ribs. So a hard quarter and away, it looked perfect. Like, yeah, what more could you ask for? Right. I mean, I'm fletched deep across this bull. Yeah. And he runs out another 50 yards. And the guy who was calling for me watched him tip over dead. And I'm like, sweet. First shot sucked. Second shot was great. Like it was just money. I was so proud of that second shot. 
because I didn't have time to range it. I just guessed 40 yards. And I mean, it was just, it was on the money, just perfect midline of the body should have crossed through both lungs, like just the best walk up there. And that arrow's sticking out like eight inches before it was fletched deep. And I'm like, what the hell? And I grab it. That arrow hit that rib deflected and actually stuck in the same side shoulder. Never went across the body. No the first shit. shot went, the first really? shot center punched his heart. Wow. But I, what I tell people a lot of times is you can look like you had the most perfect shot. Yeah. And if that was my only shot, I'd have looked for that bull for two weeks, swearing to God it was dead. I should be smelling this thing somewhere, yeah. and that bull would have been yeah. perfectly fine. It yeah. never entered the chest cavity. That's nice. Right? So when people say they made a perfect shot and they mm-hmm. didn't recover the animal, well, something happened. It wasn't perfect anymore. But that deflection, and part of the reason I'm saying that is that deflection was because of that angle, that arrow hit, and that broadhead actually actually bent a little bit and oh, yeah. it allowed that to, to move. Oh, so yeah. that's where I started learning. Look, structural integrity is huge. Uh-huh. It's huge, huge. So, yeah. you know, a well-tuned bow is great, but you've got to shoot a, a well-built arrow that's got some structural integrity to it. And you've got to shoot a decent broadhead. And unfortunately there's a lot of marketing on some really crappy broadheads out there. I've done a ton of broadhead testing. Um, you know, I get, I get bashed for a lot of it. I kind of quit. Um, another guy that, kind of started doing it at the same time as I do. He does a ton now. Um, and, and I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> it kind of cracks me up because uh, he's copied a lot of what I was doing. And I just kind of quit. Um, but I have one YouTube video where I tested 29 broadheads all in one day. Wow. And we just destroyed the shit out of them. And we were shooting <laughs> cow femurs and I was shooting them at 80 yards and I was shooting ballistics gel, which is a crap test. Yeah. Um, you know, ballistics gel doesn't mean anything anymore. I, I hate those tests, but uh learning, you know, what is a good structurally sound broadhead. And again, unfortunately, there's a lot of advertising. There's some mainstream broadheads that are just, they're horrible. They really are. And it sucks. Um, and I do get some hate because I call people out. Wackums, I'm going to be, I'm just going to, I don't know if you're affiliated with anybody, but no, Wackums, no, are one of, Wackums, Wackums are Canadian, one of the worst. Man, if you, if you want to cut this out of your <laughs> podcast, that's oh, all good, man. But no, we're Canadian, man. We don't, we don't get any of that shit. We drink beer and watch hockey, man. <laughs> yeah. Wackums, Wackums are hugely popular down here. They do fly great. They've got one of the worst retention systems on the planet when it comes to their bra- their blades, and their blades are weak as hell. Like it just it, when yeah, every time I see somebody walking with Wackums, I'm just like, literally that broadhead. You take half a turn off the broadhead, the little collar that holds the the blades on is coming off, and the blades are falling off. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. I used one. Oh man, I can't even remember the name of them. What the hell were they? Shit, I can't remember. But they were terrible. They every, every like the blades were constantly falling off. I was always sitting there screwing, trying to put the blades back on, and then screw it They'll on. Probably whack them. <laughs> <laughs> it probably was. I mean, they they are. Maybe they the, had four you, blades. Man, they are the yeah, worst. it had four whack blades. Does have four blades? Dude, well, maybe yeah, that's where they have a, they they have a three. They have a three and a four blade. They got a little gold collar. I think it's, it's a gold probably good. I don't, it's probably good. I don't remember the name, but anyway, <laughs> I, they were always falling off and I, then they had the little, the little washer and then they held the two little clip or the clips down on the blades and then you had to screw yeah. them and you're always cutting your fucking hands and I hated those. <laughs> After yeah, that, what, do you, what do you shoot for broadheads now? Um, so I actually shoot, um, the Valkyrie system right now. Um, and so it's, I'm not shooting this, 
how do I say this the right way? I, Brent, the owner of Valkyrie, is a great guy. Love Brent to death. It's a great system. Um, I would prefer to go probably a little different direction, uh, but his system with the east and axis four millimeters gets me exactly where I want to be with my current bow setup. So again, part of when I'm setting up a bow for myself, I want to shoot the heaviest arrow I can at 285 feet per second, right in that realm. Um, you know, 290 is kind of the upper end. Anything beyond that, I feel like I'm going too fast. And I feel like I potentially could lose uh, or have more flight issues with broadheads. Um, okay. But I don't really like to go much slower than that just because, you know, I like to know my trajectory. And it's just what I've shot forever. So, you know, that got me where I needed to be. Uh, if I wasn't shooting that, you know, I would probably shoot a five millimeter axis and either his blood eagles. So I'm not using a center pin system because essentially his center pin system is the same as using a hit insert and a, and a footer. It, it you know, it, it really is the same system. And he'll tell you, I don't know if you ever talked to him, um, but he'll tell you flat out. That's where he started. He started with the Eastern axis with a hit insert and a footer, um, way back in the day. And him and I have talked about that quite a bunch. Um, and he sends me customers all the time that are just going to buy his blood Eagles, which will screw into a regular arrow to build footers and build them Eastern axis arrows. Um, so I'm shooting his system right now. If I wasn't shooting his system, I shot iron wheels for quite a while. Um, I like the iron wheels, uh, and I like bill the owner. Um, but I have a, I have a, a slight issue and also, um, just my own personal experience. The last elk I shot with those, my arrow did some really funky stuff and I don't know why. And in my pea brain, I'm thinking it might have something to do with the broadhead steering the arrow kind of funky, but I can't say that for sure. So it's not a bash on iron wheels. Um, iron wheels are a hell of a broadhead. They're great. But uh, a, a QAD Exodus, man, that is like uh, out of all the broadheads I've tested when we're talking about, you know, the standard price point three for, you know, three for 30 bucks, three for 40 bucks, whatever they yeah. are now, um, they're hard to beat, you know, guys will say, well, you think that's the best broadhead ever? No, different scenarios call for different things, right? Yeah. But it's just like, what's the best arrow ever? You know, it's like I told John on his podcast, him and I got into it a little bit, not into it, but we were kind of having a little debate because he loves his gold tips. And, you know, I, kind of called it out and said, man, I think the Eastern axis is better all around arrow. And I still, you know, to this day, if you were to say, okay, you've got to pick the best all around arrow for every scenario, I'm going to pick an Eastern axis. Oh yeah. You yeah, know, they're good. you got to pick, you got to pick one broadhead and you're not going to shoot any. Okay. I'm going to pick the QAD exodus right. because of all the testing and everything I've done. Those have been the most consistent to be structurally sound, stay sharp, stay together and do what I need them to do. Right. What kind of weight are you running on your front end? I mean, obviously you must run a pretty, like what's the spline count in your arrow? I'm just trying to picture your arrow because you got a 31 inch draw. So you're probably what, running yeah, like so I'm, 200. Uh, so I used to run a 200. I'm running the, uh, right now I have a, uh, the RX-5 Ultra. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually was able to get a, is it a two fifth? What a, in the four millimeters in the, Five millimeters is 260, but I think in the four millimeters, it's not a 260 in the axis. I can't remember. It's a two, 240, 250, 260. I can't remember. It's yep. mid 200 spine. Yep. Um, and I have 180 grain broadhead up front. And then I believe his, uh, his collars 20 grains or so. So I'm about 200 grains up front. Right. You know, yeah, an overall awesome. arrow weight's 500, 575 grains right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pushing probably 15, 16% FOC. 
Um, you know, and that's where I like to be, you know, it, it, and that puts me right at 285. Right. So yeah. I'm like, okay, 285, 575. Great. I had an RX one ultra at 80 pounds. I could shoot a 610 grain arrow at 285. Oh, wow. And I had 200 and yeah, I don't remember 215, 220 grains up front on that arrow. Oh yeah. Um, and I was able to get an access 260 to spine out of that. But when I had an RX three, I had to use a 200 spine. So it's kind of interesting, like, you know, yeah. but that's where I play with arrow combos and it's arrow length and it's all sorts of things, you know, yeah. um, that play into what's going to tune out the best. Yeah. Well, I know, find too, so. with that, like the chart that each manufacturer gives, whether it's victory or, you know, Easton or whoever you're shooting, it's not always, it's not always correct. You kind of got to tinker with it yourself. And I mean, it sucks mm-hmm. because <laughs> arrows aren't cheap. So uh, yeah, but that's what I found. Cause I've shot, you know, I've shot 250, 300, 340, and I've gotten different reactions. Some, some, you know, that say like a, that RX 580 pound is telling me to shoot a 250 or a 300, and I was shooting a 340, and it just seemed I was getting better reaction downrange than I was with the 300s on it. Yeah, with the, with the same front end and you know three blazer veins. So yeah, yeah, I love the blazers. I do a lot of things. It's like, look, this is just consistent. It's worked. I've tried to tell their stuff. I did go to the AAE hybrids this year and I've, I've liked those for veins. Yeah. Um, I was shooting those for a bit last year. And then the trouble I had, I found with those is that if you don't use their glue and their primer, they just don't want to stick to the. So here's a, here's a, here's a little clue with those on the hybrids. Don't use the primer. Oh, only oh. use the primer pen on their standard veins. When they're hybrids, they actually have a reactant on the arrow already. Oh. And so I had a problem with AA sticking because I used to use their AA wipes and I yeah, used that's their what AA I've always veins had. and I would use the 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 glue and it was like grab it and just rip it off. And I'm like, what the and I actually heard Greg Poole talk about this on another podcast. And he said with the hybrids, the way the material is on them, you don't want to actually use those primer pens and those cleaners on the vein themselves. Make sure the shaft is clean, glue it on. Oh, okay. Well, same as the blazers. Yeah. Well, the blazers. Yeah. I mean, I clean everything really good or else it, even if it's brand new, I still clean it really good, but I was shooting four veins last year. This year I went back to three, but, uh, it's a good thing. I didn't send you all those, uh, Oh, you bastard. You're supposed to, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, we were talking the other day and I was like, man, these things suck. They never stick. So you can have them all. And I was, I have them in an envelope sitting at my front door. I'm going to mail them to Pete, but now I'm going to hold on. To <laughs> yeah. Try, literally, literally wipe the shaft off. Don't ever wipe the vein or just, just wipe the shaft off. Yeah. Make sure it's dry and try and glue a couple on, make sure you tip and tell them. I don't know if you could, do you guys do that? I always put a dab of glue on the front and the back of the vein just always because if that vein starts to lift, it's going to come off. Right. And so if yeah. you start blowing through targets or whatever, it's going to lift. So I just put a dab of glue tip and tail doesn't affect accuracy at all. After, it's already, on after arrow, it's already on. So after the vein's already on, you yes. tip and tail it. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So what oh, I do I is do I, 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 I put them in the clamp, right. Yeah. Glue them down, do my whole arrow. I set it off to the side. When the whole dozen's done, I come back by pick up right. each arrow and dab oh, all yeah. the way around the tip, all the way around yeah. the tail. And then I let them sit there and dry some more. And, um, yeah. Try that and then see how hard it is to pull those veins off. I think you'll be surprised. They actually will stick really well. I will. So is that I'll just try. the hybrids or like what about like the day hunters and stuff like that? I think that's what you have. No, Kevin, then right? you're supposed to use the primer pen and stuff on those. So they're oh, they're okay. the way the way 
that it was described in the podcast and I might get this wrong. You might want to get Greg Poole on because he'd be great for, for, yeah. um, for telling you about it. But the base is a little bit different than the material in the rest of the vein. So in the regular ones, it's all one material. You've got to use the primer pen to kind of get it to have a reaction and all that uh-huh. stuff. But with the hybrids, you don't. You actually, it's a different, it, it's the, the material makeup, the composition of it is different. And it's more like a blazer. Right. I never do anything with blazers other than wipe down the shafts. And those things, I mean, I was showing one customer, I could yeah. grab them with a pair of pliers. And yeah. if you pull straight, you're not pulling it off. If you start from one end, you can get them to rip off, but they're stuck on like. Yeah, crazy. those things, you you could barely cut those fucking things off, man. The only thing yeah. about the, the AAE ones is they look badass. They look cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just, just hold decided, up for a picture after you kill your animal and that's it. <laughs> I just decided I wanted to try something different. I'm like, ah, screw it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was shooting four last yeah. year. I switched to three. But, I mean, you, it's, you can't go wrong with a blazer vein. No, you know, no. The like blazers. They're awesome. I mean, I mean, it's just the old consistent, man. They just work. Yeah, people. Yeah. The biggest thing, people are like, they're so loud. And it's like, you know what? That animal's heard 10 other things before it hears that arrow coming. If it's going to duck, it's ducking from you know, yeah. other crap. <laughs> yeah. It's usually Most it's likely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Usually it's, uh, I mean, I've had deer, you know, duck or jump the string, but I've never, I've never had any problem with them here in an arrow. I mean, that, that thing's fucking moving quick too. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. Depends how close you yeah, are. Yeah. Those whitetail guys that talk about how jumpy they are from back East that always talk about, you know, it's too loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where in Canada are you guys at? We're in British Columbia. I'm in Kelowna and Pete's in uh, Invermere. He's just on the Rockies there. Gotcha. He's up in the Rocky Mountains. I've hunted Alberta twice. Oh, did you? Nice. Yeah. Whitetail, meal. Oh, did you moose? Oh, just moose. Yeah. That's Shot nice. a wolf while I was there last time here. Well, thank you. You can see. Yeah, thanks. That's my good. full mount wolf right there. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. That's yeah. awesome. So. You never kill enough of those fucking things. <laughs> I was shocked by all the wild horses out there too, but now we're getting you know, way off subject here. <laughs> in Alberta, yeah, they got. Oh yeah, yeah. Alberta's got lots like of crazy wild shit horses out there <laughs> everywhere. Uh, but the moose hunting was fun. I the first trip I didn't get to shoot a moose. I shot a wolf, so I was really happy about that. Um, second trip I shot my moose like two and a half hours into opening or first day I was there. Oh, badass! Uh, yeah, shot oh? it. Shot it. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, the guide, I, it was a guided trip, obviously, and the guide was shocked because the moose are just so huge, right? At least to me, I don't see them every day in Oregon. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. we got 10 in the entire state, you know, running around <laughs> in Eastern Oregon. There's really no moose here. And uh, so, you know, when a bull walked out, it was kind of going around us a little bit. Didn't know we had been busted in the open, but he had a little decoys holding up. And I'm looking at the thing. I'm like, hey, 60 yards. And he's like, 91. I'm like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? He goes, 91 yards. <laughs> All right, hit my dial for 91 and I let it fly. And uh, it punched clean through that thing. It was stuck in the red willows like 20 yards behind it. Oh, that's, you that's know, badass. It freaking ran out about 60 yards and laid down and we never saw it move again. Yeah, when you're taking an animal that size down, like a pass through two at 91 yards, that's, that's pretty badass. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool in the oh, snow. Yeah. I've got some pictures where you can see where blood came off the arrow, like oh. even 10 yards behind it in the snow. That's really? cool. Yeah, it, wow. it, was, it was a fun trip, but anyway, that'll get yeah. something for your listeners to pick on me for. I'll be like, 91 fucking yards, are you kidding me? Well, yeah, but you got the size of a dump truck to hit there. Like the <laughs> yeah, kill zones and, on a moose are massive. It's that's not what I'm saying. Like it, I would have never, yards. 
I would have never guessed that was 91 yards. I'm pretty decent with yardage, but I'm just like, Jesus. I mean, it, it literally was like shooting at elk yeah. at maybe 50, 60, which, you know, here we, that's not that uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, it all comes down to like, everyone's different. I mean, if somebody's comfortable making a 91 yard shot and moose, then fucking fly at it, man. You know what I mean? Nobody should be judging what other people are shooting at what yeah. yardage. I mean. I mean, it was, it was dead calm, no wind. Yeah. No, nothing. You know, the moose knew something was up, but didn't know what. And literally I, you know, the, the guy just holding the decoy up and I drew from behind all of it. All he did was just spin. And I, when I was ready, I said, okay, move the decoy. And he just pulled it out of the way and the fucking Send bull it. had no clue. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so it's cool at that far yeah. too. Cause you can literally like, you can see the arrow even. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the bull awesome. just was standing there looking at us like, you know, <laughs> what was his reaction when he got hit? Did he take off or did he just like kind yeah. of do his two, two back steps and look at you or he just took right off oh no he he hunched up he hunched oh, yeah. up pretty decent and then took off running like i said but then he uh i mean he didn't run fast man i'm sure they could run faster than what i saw him run you know but uh, he covered that you know 80 yards or so pretty quick and then he just he literally walked in like two circles yeah and then he just laid down and when we walked up to him his his legs were tucked underneath him and his nose was stuck in the snow like he had just fallen asleep yeah you yeah, know like, he wasn't even on his side you know yeah so he yeah so, he just cool yeah it wasn't and you know it didn't i mean we didn't even give him that much time really you know because we could we knew where he was and we couldn't see any steamer i mean there was snow on the ground and stuff it was cold yeah. right couldn't see any steam coming off from where he was breathing yeah horns weren't up you know rack wasn't up nothing so anyway yeah it was cool. just fun well, i'd like i'd like to go back and do it again well, in Alberta, I mean, you can be at one side of Alberta and see the other side. It's so flat out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, those bogs aren't fun to walk yeah. in, though. Yeah, no, they're not. Those bogs yeah. suck. Oh, cool. especially you know, trying to trying to work on a bowl. But anyway, yeah, um, that's cool, man. Well, that's cool. You got uh, awesome. get a chance to cut out, come up to Canada. Yeah, right on, yeah. man. So, where can uh, people look you up and find you and follow you and buy some uh, footings? So Instagram, Facebook, that's all I have. I don't have a website. I'm really low tech. So, Simple. you know, people can, uh, my, my phone numbers on my Facebook page, you can message me, like I said, on Instagram or Facebook, it's just Elk River Archery. Um, you know, it's, it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, you can email me, you know, what, whatever works. Um, I'm more than happy to give people advice too on things. I get people call me all the time and I just talk them through stuff. So I do nice. have a standard, what I tell people all the time. I have your standard nine to five job. Mine's actually, you know, seven to four, but <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. that's my standard job. Other than that, you know, and people call me during those hours too. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm flexible enough to be able to take those calls, but realistically, you know, um, evenings work great and, and weekends are good or I message people back, you know, on Instagram or Facebook all the time. Yeah. Cool. And we can well, talk through what you need, what you want, um, you know, and, and what, would, what would work best for you. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. You got anything to add, Pete? Well, if I can't get my broadheads to fly straight here, I might be giving you a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me a call, man. I'll give you, I'll give you the best advice I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, yeah, I'll eliminate all the obvious stuff first. Calm day and being fatigued. <laughs> then we'll go from there. Yeah. I'm sure you'll be fine. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Okay, Chris. Yeah. Thanks a lot, eh? Yeah, it's been great, man. Nice hey, to awesome. meet you guys. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, thanks nice a lot, too. Talk to you soon, Pete. Yeah, I'm good on one.
again, everyone, for tuning in to the Focus Hunting Podcast. It's coming at you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Quick shout out to the sponsors of the show, Vortex Optics, the best in optics, period. Backroads Maps Books, never get lost with Backroads Maps. AKU Boots, you owe it to your feet. Scree Hunting Gear. Now, if you guys check the show notes, you're going to find some promo codes. Use them, save a bit. Love you guys. Talk to you soon.